Welcome to Expanding Your Faith, a podcast hosted by Bishop Greer Godsey, the Old Catholic Church's International. Expanding Your Faith brings together a panel of well-educated clergy and laity to discuss modern events with a biblical perspective. Our podcast is about to start. Please stay tuned. To expanding your faith. I'm Bishop Greer, and joining me this evening is Reverend Mark. Greetings, everyone. And Father Matt. Greetings, blessings, and salutations. So tonight we're going to be discussing... He's trying to channel Paul over there. Uh, he's trying something. Tonight we're going to be discussing uh, Noah, which is a rather hefty um, Bible story. Uh, from the book of Genesis, um, talking about Noah and the flood, and uh, getting some different points of view about this story and what it means, and and where um, what we can take away from it uh, as people of uh, faith or people of no faith, um, what we can kind of learn from this story. Excuse me, so the story starts in Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to read a good portion of this, um, just so that we are all on the same page, and then we'll kind of delve into it. So it may take a minute or two of reading to get to where we need to be. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, when people began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair. And so they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. The Lord then, then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went in to the daughters of humans, who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot them out, blot out from the earth the human beings I have created people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. 
The length of the arc, 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the arc and finish it to a cubit above. And put the door of the arc on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth and destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives, with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come in with you to keep them alive. And take with you every kind of food that is eaten, and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air also, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that were not clean. And of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the, deep, of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. The rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah with his sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons entered the ark, they and every wild animal of every kind, and all domestic animals of every kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every bird of every kind, every bird, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth, and the waters increased, and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains were under the whole heavens were covered. The water swelled above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep, 
and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, all swarming creatures that swarm the earth, and all human beings, everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creepy things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the water swelled on the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out a raven. And it went to and fro from the, until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove for, from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him in the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and took it, and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again set out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with, with you of all the flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. And every animal and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark by families. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled that pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air, on everything that creeps on the ground and all the flesh of the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your own lifeblood I will surely require a reckoning. From every animal I will require it, and from human beings, each one for the blood of another, I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image God made humankind. And you be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply it in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the domestic animals, and every animal on earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that I will never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. It shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I think I'm going to stop right there. <clears throat> Initial thoughts from our gifted theologians here. They pointed each other. <laughs> uh, I think he did that uh, because they need a, a water break <laughs> after, yeah. what'd you do, three chapters? Yes. Well, the the one thing that stands out to me is something that is, um, to me, a pattern throughout Scripture, even over into a lot of uh, the writings and the words of Christ in the Gospels, um, or the writings of the Gospel, the words of Christ, uh, and that is that in the middle of things that are imperfect, God is still caught by something that's small, you know, out of all humanity, there was one and there was a small group of people, just one family, and it was enough for God to work with. We don't have to be all perfect for God to be able to do something great and to be able to start something. So to me, that's always been kind of the takeaway when I read Noah. And um, it reminds me of a lot of the parables of Jesus, you know, that, you know, the wheat and the tares, um, the tree that wasn't bearing fruit, you know, being able to 
you know, the imperfect can be all around us, but if there's even a little bit, the mustard seed faith, if there's even just a little bit of something willing to be and do righteous and love and represent God in the earth, that's enough for God to work with. And so, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, that's always been a kind of a cool takeaway for me uh, in the story of Noah. So the thing that always interests me about Noah is that it's not a unique cultural story for the region. Every Middle Eastern culture that was around at the time that this was written, um, Babylon, um, Persian mythology, um, particularly Zoroastrian mythology, has a story that talks about a global flood, flooding phenomenon of some kind around this same time. Right. So it's very clear something in the something interesting happened in the region for all three of the three major players at the time to write a story that had some kind of global flooding event occurrence. So was it God taking his wrath out on humanity? That's our that's our take on it is that humanity became the wild, wild west, and we had to kind of take an axe to that and figure out what to do. Yeah, and go ahead, sorry. Um, and Zor Zoroastrian, the Zoroastrian text has kind of the same, similar flavor to it, um, whereas Babylon has a whole epic donated to it. So it, it's... It kind of it all it depends on how, the lens you want to read it from. Do you want it to be a literal flood? Do you want it to be a, a story telling a greater moral compass, same thing, and how you can interpret Noah? So mm -hmm. that that's kind of the but the interesting thing to start with is it's not a unique thing just to the Judeo Christian Muslim experience. It's world it, it's whole known worldwide experience at that time. Right. And I agree. I, you know, uh, of course, I'm always the voice of, um, that kind of spreads the story a little bit, pushes the boundaries. Um, you know, we have a, a similar uh, story to the Noah story from Mesopotamia called the Epic of Gilgamesh which was written in uh, 2100 BC uh, BCE in the third dynasty of Ur and it very much parallels the Noah story even though it tends to predate the Noah story and um, it is uh, one of those stories that um, talks about essentially how 
man became too noisy. It was disturbing the gods. <laughs> and the gods decided just to wipe out humanity because they were tired of the noise. And But Gilgamesh is saved and protected and, um, you know, takes with him animals and, and plants and things of that nature to save what's going on, save Earth from this this flood but Gilgamesh's story is very much uh, more of a regional flood story versus this global worldwide uh, catastrophe that Noah is and uh, Fred says this is a story of global flood however it could have been it couldn't have been global with the size of the ark the number of decks how could he save all of the animals on the earth talk about that. <laughs> I think it was just a regional flood, but the story told years later, it grew. And, you know, we do see some of that throughout biblical history. I mean, um, the stories of people living 900 years. You know, Noah uh, supposedly lived another 325 years after the flood. So he was 600 years old when the flood happened. And then he lived another 325. He was 925 years old when he died. Uh, I don't know about the esteemed gentleman sitting with me here at the table, but uh, I'm not building no arcs at 600 years old. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that... so your measurement in the Hebraic sense is very different. Yes. Um, today it's markedly, markedly different than probably what it was back then. But it's a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So that expands because they were marking the moon phases. So the moon would turn X amount of times during one season, X amount of times during another season. And that's how they marked year and divided the months so it's a which tends to be a shorter time span than what we have Short, yeah um going off of a solar calendar so but is it enough to quadruple a person's lifespan that's kind of shaky on my on my viewpoint um well and it also depends too i mean We've had it even up until the uh, 20th century. You know, my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather, not my grandfather, my great-grandfather, was anywhere from 102 to 106 when he died. We don't know exactly because he doesn't remember, didn't remember his birthday, and he was born out in the middle of nowhere by a midwife, and his birth wasn't registered right away and so you know there's no good information on how old exactly he was but we're also talking about a time that tended to predate um, writing stories down and, and keeping detailed records of birth and death and so I mean there could be a bit of you know 
human exaggeration to it too that you know well Noah was born sometime way back then we just don't know exactly when typically when you hear astronomical years it's like we don't know exactly when this dude was born but he was born a while ago yeah right and he was old we know he was old and he was a fairly decent age when he built the ark and then, of course, we get into the whole discussions about the size of the ark and animals and, you know, uh, how could you take... And the story has two different calculations of how many animals were on the ark. And very beginning, uh, God says to Noah, take two of every kind. Then the first part of chapter 7, he says, take seven of every clean animal, two of every unclean animal. Then later in chapter 7, he says that they took a pair of each animal, clean and unclean. So there's some discrepancy in the writing as to exactly how many animals were on the ark. But even if it were, as many people believe, a worldwide flood... Um, to have every single animal represented from around the world um, would have been kind of difficult, even for the ark at the size it was. And they only had 40, what, a year to prep the ark? About that. Literally. So that means you would have had to walk the earth, the entire literal earth, if you're a literalist, animals. collect every single animal from every yeah. single continent. And then food for all of them. And then food for all of them. And then they were on the ark 150 days until the water stopped rising. And then another six months or so afterwards. And then another... Yeah, they stopped on the mountain. And then they waited 30 days before they sent the dove out. They said the raven, and then they sent a dove, and then they sent another dove. And then they sent so the third dove, out. and then they waited another seven days. Yeah. So It's about six months between the time the water stopped and the time they climb off the ark. That's so, a long time for food. That's a lot of food. And, and I'm sorry, the deer are going to start looking really good... <laughs> well, no one in his family could have all been vegan. You never know. So. Well, true. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you're probably dealing with um, a situation to where you're looking at a glo um, you're looking at a regional versus a global incident. Um because obviously there's, you know, how do people get to various continents in the earth um, after, after that flood? You know, how, you know, if they're there, how do they get there again type of a situation? So, you know, I, I, I kind of feel that it was a regional situation versus the global um, and um, it 
again, you're looking at how, you know, if you take the, the writings of Gilgamesh where the world was too noisy, thank God for the covenant not to flood again because we're awfully noisy right now. <laughs> we're way too noisy. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, and, you know, from my background, there was a lot of teaching and emphasis that there were, um, you know, angels that were coming down and having relations with humanity and hence the birth of the, of, uh, the giants and things of that. Yeah. yeah. And so, and obviously some of that spills over again into um, David's day, which is, you know, many, 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 many years from the flood of Noah, obviously. So either there was a pocket that survived or once again, (laughs) these spiritual beings were coming down and having relations. And then there was God's covenant not to wipe us all out again. But also that's the only place in the modern canon, the accepted canon, not the Deuteron- not the apocryphal canon, that Nephilim are mentioned. Yeah. So. And the idea that they were, uh, you know, some translations call them giants. And this translation calls them warriors of old. Yeah. And, you know, um, and that being part of the reason that they... <laughs> we, uh, we timed our podcast perfect. Obviously. And so um, that being part of the reason why they... Um, why they... Uh, God destroyed the, the earth was because of the Nephilim. Yeah. And that they were an abomination basically because they were you know a mixture of angel and human that did great evil things you know yeah and so um you know god felt the need to wipe them off the face of the earth um and i mean there are archaeological um a record of you know, very large human beings that existed. Um, I don't know that I would call them necessarily giants, but if you are, um, if you're four foot nine and this person stands six foot six, that definitely could be a, a giant to you. And, you know, with Homo naledi uh, and um, some of the uh, species found in in Asia that are, you know, four foot, you know, four foot nine, four foot ten, you know, certainly uh, a uh, human being of, of six foot or six and a half foot tall is definitely a giant to them. So I can see where the story comes from, even in an archaeological point of view. Sure. You know, and uh, of course they would have been rather strong at that uh, height and uh, you know of course evil is kind of in the eye of the beholder throughout history what evil means so I mean there's a lot of of potential there for some literalness to the story 
Um, but now let's look also at what uh, is kind of the takeaway of the story. Uh, Mark, you touched on it a little bit at the very beginning, and that is the fact that even in God's, uh, and it almost reads as despair over humanity, you know. He, he talks about how much he's grown to dislike humanity, you know, um, because of their evil ways. Could it be that level of frustration, you know? <laughs> of course, in my background, we read that passage of Scripture, and they talk about how just... Uh, I love all the sound effects you're adding to our... It's almost <laughs> like we're outside uh, in our recording that you're adding to here. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> so... You know, in my background, of course, the preaching was always, you know, God hated humanity and God couldn't stand us. And and then, you know, there was a desperate attempt for, you know, God was pulling out the Sherlock's Holmes uh, magnifying glass, searching the globe, trying to find. God knew right where Noah was. Mm -hmm. God knew exactly what Noah was up to. And so God probably kept an eye out on Noah and was observing that righteous behavior, that sure. that light that was inside of Noah and his family. So I tend to read the passage of Scripture and say, you know, like a lot of us looking at certain situations in life, God was just absolutely frustrated with things that were going awry among in the earth. And God is sitting there searching for that one Redeem, redemption, that one redeeming person in the world to say, okay, this, this can work, this can continue, this can happen uh, because of this person's heart over here. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to save, um, save humanity, save this area, this region, kind of however you want to look at that. And, um, and again, it's, it's, uh, it's it, all through scripture God is looking for that righteous either that small in one person or that small group among uh, a civilization you know that remnant some passages of scriptures allude to um, and it's of righteousness in the earth to see good spread and so if you're sitting there and you're God, you're looking for that righteousness and that grace. <laughs> and I think it's interesting, too, and we'll contrast this in a few weeks, because uh, in June we're going to talk about, um, you know, the verses that people misinterpret to talk about homosexuality, and, and we're going to talk about that several times during June uh, <laughs> from a scriptural point of view, but... Uh, the, like you were saying, it wasn't like he was going across the world with a magnifying glass. It's not like the story of Lot, where he's going, if I can find 50 righteous people, if I can find 25 righteous people. No, the story uh, of Noah, he goes right to Noah. Yeah. There's no searching. He just goes straight to Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the earth and I'm going to save you and your family. And in that passage of Scripture with Lot, do you think that the Spirit giving the inspiration 
was trying to convey something to us more so mm-hmm. than, you know, God's up there literally trying to, oh, if there's 50, oh, if there's, you know, more so to us mm-hmm. than um, that literally happening. But it's exactly. also hinting at the ending of Noah. Because remember, Noah is the first covenant that God has with humanity. Mm-hmm. So you'll slaughter your meat in a way that is clean, so it's the early earliness of kosher of the kosher laws. Mm-hmm. Of you're going to have these animals that are clean and unclean and you're going to slaughter them in a kosher in a, way. In a kosher way, that means a way that they won't have any suffering and you'll drain all their blood out when you cook it. Um, but they're all Always be seed time harvest. There will always the be world. times of harvest. There will all be, always be times of rain, but never again will it be to where it as uses my tool against you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, and it will not be a way to destroy the earth, but to make it inhabitable and to make it prosper. And you will prosper, and this rainbow will be a rem- that you will see in times of rain will be a reminder that you are my people. Exactly. And that you have a promise. So it's the first establishment of laws. And then in Lot, we'll talk about this again when we talk about Lot and Abraham's bargaining with God. But Abraham is hinting at that covenant. True. So that, that's a known covenant among the people that followed the laws before they had the Abrahamic covenant. And Abraham's hinting God and reminding God, you have this covenant that you will not wipe out humanity entirely again. And you have, you said you're setting that precedence where God is desiring to interact with humanity. God is desiring to work with us and us with God, and that's what the covenant reveals: is that God is not just going to be lofty and far away, but it's a hint at things that were to come when Jesus shows up, and that is the message of God wanting to be interactive with us. So every time that there's seed time and harvest, there's that interaction with God's promise each and every time. And it's a restorative promise, too. Right. I've restored the earth back to what I want it to be. I've restored you and all of humanity back into where I want it to be. No longer do I want it to be this wild, wild west situation, but I want it to be peaceful and bountiful. Yeah. Now go do that. Go spread that. You know, the the have dominion over the earth is to go and make that peace, that mercy, that grace, that light, that the reason that I saved you. Go make that into the earth. Bring heaven to earth. Yeah. Not wait for heaven. But yeah. Bring heaven to earth. And there's always been a, and again from some of my background there's a perversion a lot of times of that passage of scripture where you know there's all there'll be as long as the earth remains there'll be seed time and harvest go and have dominion over the earth and such and foremost where a lot of people from my background take that and they want to have the rule of thumb dominion wise over people and you know bow to the Christianity thing and use it as a weapon and then of course the seed time harvest is always relegated over to the money 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 portion which I have horrible disagreement over and so 
but I think when you're you're looking at that passage, you're looking at that promise that God will always supply and that the earth will always yield because of this promise. And I think it's interesting because uh, you mentioned uh, it's the earlier passages in Genesis 2 or 3 in which God says, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply, and have dominion over the earth. But by the time we get to Noah, he's only saying, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. He, he leaves out that dominion portion. And then he goes on to explain this interaction between Noah and earth. You know, you will have animals in which you can eat, but you have to eat them in a humane, kosher way. And you have, you know, fruits and vegetables and things of that nature that you're going to eat as well. It, it's kind of, instead of the dominion aspect, it's almost like God is saying, you're going to be equal with the animals and plants of the earth. You're there to take care of it and to honor it, not destroy it not to which begs the or which alludes to the thought that you know my mind immediately goes to well, I mean did we have people amongst the group that just got wiped out that were taking these animals and just eating them raw I mean, like, ugh, I couldn't imagine doing something like that obviously there's a reason why God steps in you know and makes those different or makes those specific uh, uh, requests and so um, I, I, I like the the mindset of that you're laying out there that it's definitely a, uh, a you know we're going to we're going to live together there's a togetherness harmony. it was almost kind of like what the the um, the original intent there was for the the harmonious interaction between humanity and um and nature and um you know i'm personally jealous of <laughs> that harmonious original nature that was supposed to be here because now we're all having to walk around clothed and and um you know worried about snakes <laughs> right <laughs> that harmony is not there anymore and so I think it's very interesting, um, that aspect in, in the Noah story, is that there's that turn towards trying to restore a harmony and a balance. Well, nature is healing. Nature. Yeah. You know, how many times have you been in a place to where you've just been in nature and there's such a peace that comes over you? You know, I'll, I'll digress to something super small here, but kind of big for me. You know, studies show that animals, specifically cats, you know, their purring nature has a um, healing property. Uh, you know, it's an animal of the earth that God obviously created. And, you know, that one thing showing that there can be healing, that's a scientific study. And I can attest to it. Um, you know, there's been times that my cat will come along, man, I don't feel too well, and he'll just sit there and purr. So the, that's a very, very small thing, but to me it's it shows how um, the world, God intended the world in its peace, if you're in nature, how much it, it, it relieves the stress and it pulls 
you back to a peaceful place. Even when I sit on my back patio sometime and nobody's around, even though I live in a neighborhood, just the listening to the birds and so forth. Um, and then there's been plenty of times that I've gone out and just been in places, gone to places in the woods, uh, stayed in cabins and stuff with woods surrounding. And it just there's just a, a weight that comes off of us. And that, to me, that shows the power that God intended for the world to be for us all. Sure. Treasure Girl has a question. Could God have had remorse for the innocent that were lost from the flood? <clears throat> I think God was, at least in the story, we're, we're given the kind of inclination that there weren't a lot of innocent <laughs> in the flood besides Noah and his family. I'm sure there were. And I think that that's why you have this at the very start of the story, um, you know, um, um, God is saying, um, you know, he's kind of, there's this hint that there's kind of a struggle that God has, you know. You know, humanity is, is become evil and you know, it, it actually says, and the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's what the scripture says, it grieved him to his heart. I think that there was a certain amount of sadness in the idea of having to wipe out even a small group of humanity. Uh, because again, we're not talking about wiping out all of humanity on the earth. Uh, because we believe this was a regional versus a worldwide flood. But this group that had been very uh, evil and had been abusive probably of the earth and, and other things, I think there was even that grief in God of having to wipe them out. But it was one of those situations of they were not willing to do anything better. They weren't willing to change their ways. They weren't willing to, you know, submit to kind of a, a path that would have given them the ability to survive. I think that there is a certain amount of remorse afterwards. You know, the whole covenant with man, I think, speaks to that. And God saying, you know, I don't want to have to do this again. I don't want to have to destroy humankind. And so I'm going to make a covenant with you. If you follow this covenant, I won't ever destroy the earth again. You know? I, I, there, I don't necessarily... There was a scholar that was uh, throwing some ideas out. I heard this years ago um, about Noah and uh, everything that was going on prior to Noah considering that you know there were beings that were involved in humanity that were from not supposed to be here that there was a knowledge that was increasing that humanity was on a trajectory with certain knowledges and that that trajectory could have corrupted even more humanity and we see that technology uh, 
you know, we obviously can grow with technology. Look at the, um, Father Matt can probably talk to this a lot better than I can, that the advances in medical, in the medical field in the last 20 years has eclipsed the amount of medicine advancing in the previous hundred. So, uh, you know, the way they were able to solve certain problems, physic you know we're talking about surgeries the other day uh how they're able to do things robotically now where before they had to open you up and so he hypothesized that that there was an intense knowledge in the earth and that people were growing in that knowledge Uh, and even now there's you know discoveries in different parts of the world where they're like how did they they can't figure out how certain things were built how thing you know the ruins of certain things you know how did they accomplish this because even with modern technology we can't do this so i think that's an interesting food for thought i wouldn't say it's bible i think it's possibly something that could be thrown into the mix here i don't necessarily disagree with that because we're there's a lot of people that are ambitious and uh in their wanting to grow in knowledge and grow in understanding of how the science works, engineering works, and so forth. You know, um, I was uh, I was just recently at a theme park, and I'm walking around thinking of how all the engineering of all these things takes place, and it made my head hurt because I'm thinking that's way too much math for me. <laughs> you know how much how much uh, pressure and how much uh, uh, power is needed to propel these things and calculate exact um, measurements so that uh, rides aren't running into each other and so on and so forth so I mean I I, I don't know if that's something that's too off the wall for y'all's thoughts but uh, um, I think that it's entirely possible that you know, humanity was growing too quickly in what it could do and what it could accomplish. With its mindset. Yeah. And, you know, with having this uh, idea that they were using these things for evil means, you know, um, there is one constant that has continued even well after the flood, and that is that humanity finds new and inventive ways to kill each other. And, you know, if they were already on a trajectory of, you know, building advanced weaponry and advanced technology to do those types of things, you know, our Earth might not exist at all at this point, you know. So, no, that's certainly a possibility is that they had reached a level that God said this is not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, So we have to kind of hit the reset button. (laughs) And it's... The Noah story, to me, is the first time we really hear about this, about God having this quandary, not as a friend or friend or whatever, but as a parental guide. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this whole angst and this whole tug and pull is similar to what you go through as a parent. Sure. You know, I'm so angry and frustrated at you that I just want to kill you, but I don't because I love you. 
it, it's that same sort of emotional swell. Sure. And I need to find a redeeming quality in you because I love you. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think that's that. I think that um, it that speaks to a narrative that uh, you know we're coming up on Pentecost and the Spirit uh, being released into the world. And one ask one portion of Holy Spirit that works with humanity is looking and searching the deep things of uh, humankind sure. and searching the Spirit, and sometimes. The Spirit has to reveal to us the light that is in us because sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the uh, as humanity did here, sometimes we as a whole all get caught up in a situation where we're searching, you know, am I, am I worthy of God's love or am I, is there anything good that can come out of me? Is there anything that I can do that will help? the people around me or you know a lot of times people equate themselves to just wasted material in the earth and I think that uh, that the Spirit of God helps show us in those dark moments just as here that even if there's a sliver of light inside of us if there's that small mustard seed faith inside of us God can work with it and God can pull that out of us and use it to grow 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 and so um, I think, um, you know, that, that, that was on a large scale. That, that's what Holy Spirit does on the individual scale now with each of us, is helping us to see that light on the inside of us. Um, I hate to quote Harry Potter, specifically Sirius Black from uh, uh, Order of the Phoenix, but he, you know, he stops and he says, you know, we all have darkness and light on the inside of us. It's the part we choose to act on that really defines us. You know, it shows us who we are. Yeah. And so I think if we have the Spirit of God, we're all tempted towards the, the negative because our world is so negative. And so the Spirit show, shines a light on that one redeeming thing inside of us and said, hey, this can grow and this can redeem you. This can, you know, we can deal with all this other stuff as the light grows. Because I'm a firm believer that as the light grows inside of us, it starts pushing away all that negative and it pushes all that away. So if we're less focused on, you know, I'm... I'm failing over here. We'll start succeeding in a couple of things, and they'll start growing as a whole. Sure. All right, folks. I think that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Uh, good discussion on Noah. Um, next week, we're going to tackle Job. Or Job. Or Job. The book of. I love the book of Job. So next week we're going to. Uh, Wasn't he a founder of some famous tech company? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to. <laughs> we're going to. Ba-dum-psh. Yes, poor Matt. Two thousand comedians. Father Matt over there doing our dad joke to end the day. Yeah, two thousand comedians out of a job, and Father Matt's trying to be one. So, 
Um, we're going to we're going to take some selections from the Book of Job. I'm not going to read the whole book. Praise be. <laughs> That's a long just, one. <laughs> way too much for one podcast. We would let but. you start reading. We would go have dinner. That's right. Then come coffee. Back. Then dessert. Then coffee again. Then come back and I might be done. Perhaps. But we're going to take selected portions of Job, kind of hit the high points, and um, and then we're going to uh, discuss uh, Job. Job's a controversial figure um, amongst a lot of people today, and a lot of people have questions about the story of Job. Um, and so we'll get into that uh, next week for our podcast, so I hope you'll join us for that. Until then, God loves you and so do I. And thank you to our wonderful panelists, uh, Reverend Mark and Father Matt, for being here today. It was a pleasure. And until next week, keep shining bright, my friends. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Expanding Your Faith. For more information on Expanding Your Faith, Check us out on facebook.com forward slash expanding your faith. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, when we once again attempt to expand your faith, keep shining bright.